the Danger Gnome Podcast, numero cuatro. Welcome to the Danger Gnome Podcast. I'm your host, Avonculus Nomez. And in this episode of the GGP, we launch a new segment called Ask Adam with our dear friend Adam Blake. And then Spinner and I interview 2019 Fat Bike Berkey men's champion, Corey Stelgis. All of that and more right after this. Danger Gnome! Hey, welcome to our new segment. It's called Ask Adam, and it's uh, it's with our friend and bicycle professional, Mr. Adam Blake. How's it going? Going good, man. How you doing? Doing very well. So Adam is a, a pro bike slinger from way back. I mean, Adam, we're on the we're on the podcast world, so I have to describe like you have a park uh, pedal wrench tattooed on your <laughs> forearm, or is it on your leg? Forelimb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So and and nipple twister wrenches on your on your body somewhere. So Poke wrenches, bikes, gnomes, all on, good things. On top of you know being employed by the bike industry since he was a lad, he has all that yeah. going for him. So we have a and where where are you? Uh, it's World of Bikes, right in Iowa City. World of Bikes in Iowa City, yeah. I've been around for uh, 45 years, the shop has, and this will be my fifth year with World of Bikes. I worked for a while and then took a break to kind of get deeper in the industry and, and came and found my way back. Nice. Back in Iowa City. And there's the, you guys are doing some really cool group overnight rides, right? What are you calling those? Group? Yeah, Adventure Series. Uh, eight different events. Uh, all sub 24 hour overnighters uh, from as little as 28 miles round trip up to 105 miles round trip. Cool. And I am going to try and make one of those this year. That'd be awesome. So, but uh, our segment is called Ask Adam. So, uh, you know, we have a question from one of our readers, Sebastian Gagnon. He, uh, he writes, I ride a Rocky Mountain Suzuki 50. This bike has 27.5 by 3.8 tires on mule foot 65 millimeter wide rims. I love the bike. I'm very happy with it for my winter setup. Uh, I put uh, 45 North Dillinger tires on there for icy conditions, and uh, he's in southern Ontario, Canada. So he his the, we'll get to his question here as I babble on. I want to start bike packing this summer. Do you have any suggestions about tires for better rolling resistance? I could keep the original Maxxis Minions and blow them up to higher pressure. Do you think I could fit 27.5 by 3 tires on those 65 millimeter wide rims? He says, ultimately, I could get new rims with a setup with 29-inch tires. And then he says, what do you suggest to get this baby rolling in a hot summer day? Planning on a few warm-up trips of 100 miles, 50 miles yeah. to my location and back the next day. Uh, he says he wants to get his uh, setup dialed for a 300-kilometer tour in August. Awesome. So, doctor, what do you think? Yeah, well, I, I think that we have a few bridges to cross. Um, I think 
that uh, there's a, a more entry-level way that we can make improvement to the bike. And I think there's a, a way with a little bit more monetary investment that we can make substantial in, improvements to the bike. Um, my first recommendation uh, or option would probably be just analyzing uh, a fat tire, a 3.8 tire, because that 65 mil rim is not super wide. Uh, you can get a nice round tire profile, something like a Caravelle Coronado or something like that. Those roll really fast and have proven to be very valuable in mixed surface. Uh, you know, not a great snow tire, but we're not really talking about snow tires right now. Right. Um, You're looking for an all-arounder that favors rolling resistance and might give right. up a little bit in traction, but... Um, good on everything especially you right. know, there's a, always going to be a fair amount of gravel and pavement in this whole multi-surface uh, right. bag of tricks destination destination riding like rarely do you get one continued surface for 50 miles or 300 kilometers right quite right you know um so so i think that's a valid uh, valid option you know i would be hesitant to just pump tires up um, because you're really losing uh, ride quality, which is going to become important as your ride distance increases, especially with a loaded down bike, uh, a firm, firm tire, and just bouncing across gravel may not feel as confidence-inspiring and, and may not be as sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately for me, uh, the consideration would have to be made, especially since he brought it up, uh, of a different wheel size, uh, something that is tailored more towards exactly what he wants to do. Um, my preference would be to go to the 29 by three size, 29 plus, um, and for a couple reasons. Um, I think that in mixed surface, it rolls very well. Uh, it is confidence inspiring. It's going to roll a lot faster than a 26 by 38, though, uh, especially once you get it up to speed. Um, there are more tires available now, but like, a maybe a Maxxis Chronicle or something like that. That's an intermediate tread. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, that's very valid. Um, my concern with going 27 and a half by three, which he mentioned is twofold. Um, the 65 mil rim is probably just a little wide for a three inch tire. Uh, I would prefer to see more like a 45 millimeter rim. Um, and second fold in that is I would be concerned uh, if we were including single track or more technical trails in our journey about a lowered bottom bracket height because that 27 and a half by 38 is going to be a larger diameter than 27 and a half by three and effectively drop the whole bike. Which could feel good for load. You're centering the gra- or you know, lowering the center of gravity, but it may increase pedal strikes or may um, compromise cornering ability, things like that. Sure. Yeah, I could see um, that. One of the things that I would, you know, really stress um, because you know, yes, I work in a bike shop. Yes, uh, our goal is to get you on the best product. Uh, sometimes there is cost associated with that and a 29 plus wheel set with you bigger rims uh hubs spokes tires a tubeless setup hopefully maybe even a cassette and rotor so that they're somewhat interchangeable um 
that's going to have the most monetary cost. But if you're making a time investment to train for a 300K bikepacking journey or even 50-mile each way journeys, I think the monetary investment is um, is justified by your time investment. You know, uh, that takes training, that takes dedication, and sometimes having the most optimal components for that makes the entire experience a lot better. Sure. You know, uh, if he had just mentioned, "I just want to do tires." Mm-hmm. What tire do you recommend? Well, then we have a little different conversation because we're talking maybe uh, $200 for a pair of fat tires, you know, give or take 50 bucks. And we're talking maybe $1,000 for a 29 plus wheel set. Right. For an, al- for an alloy rim. For an alloy rim with a reasonable hub, reasonable double-butted spoke, a cassette, rotors. Or, you know, up to high threes, low fives, if you want to bling it out in the name brandest crazy carbon and uh, American-made fine machined Right. The sky's really the limit on how much you want to spend on on the wheel set. I would probably quote a baseline expectation of 750 to 800 bucks. Yeah. Um, when you figure it all in and if you have somebody build the wheels for you, so there's labor involved and stuff like that, you may be crest, you may be getting close to a thousand dollars. And there are some great tires. The, the Toria has some great tires. 45 North has some great tires. Uh, the new Terravale tires, that Coronado tire in 29 plus and in fat is just the smoothest rolling, easiest rolling thing. Yeah, proven in, in mixed surface riding, too. You know, Roy Kranz, who you've interviewed, rode those tires to win Dirty Cans of Fat Bike Edition. Quite right. Or, you know, the Fat Bike Class. So that tire can roll. Uh, and, and if that's the direction, I wouldn't scoff at that direction. I think you could see some significant improvement in rolling resistance and rolling capabilities. But, again, my, my question would be, how much are you going to, are you willing to invest in the best time you can possibly have you know what i mean yeah sure but that's not to say if if you're on a limited budget you could possibly hire yeah, great you know you could possibly do better with a you know uh, a husker do tire yeah, or husker do great tire yeah for and they would be able to run on that 65 millimeter rim. I thought it was an interesting question because it was, you know, if he was on 80s, oh, the new wheel set would be a natural. But because it, would, right. it was on that tweener size, I thought, well, I think we should call and ask Adam. I would, I would just think if, if you're asking for my ultimate recommendation, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, cost not, you know, considered, of course, at all times, but not the, the premium. We have a budget for things. I think the differentiation of what a 29 plus or even 29 by two six maybe tire size could do in mixed terrain versus a 26 by three eight. Uh, I think that's where you notice substantial differences in ride quality, substantial differences in rolling resistance, handling, cornering, uh, things like that. You know, and 29 plus more prevalent than than and more tire options than there's ever been before 
Right. Quite right. And that sweet spot as far as rim width for this adventure bike channel yeah. is like that 32 to 44 or somewhere in that range. Yeah. I usually, if, as a general rule, I do about a 40 for a 2.8. I do a 45 for a 3.0. Mm-hmm. Um, just to get the nice profile. Now, anything in that range from probably, like you said, 32 to 35 up to 45, uh, going to all be workable. Cool. You know, tubeless, obviously, uh, the consideration, I don't think it was mentioned whether they were running tubeless or not, but that would have to be put into consideration, you know, um, just for puncture protection, ride quality, lowered weight. Uh, things like that. All right. Well, Sebastian, now, now you know what to do. Yeah, maybe, and maybe because Sebastian is going to choose some quote unquote warm up rides, uh, maybe the first investment is in tires, mm-hmm. and you just see if they perform the way you expect them to perform. And if they don't, then you look to invest more. You can always unload tires at a reasonable price secondhand, or you could keep them for a alternative usage or something like that, you know? Right. Or hit the trading boards or hit up your buddy right. and say, hey, are you riding those Bombalonis right now? Right. All right, sir. Well, thanks for coming on. It's the Danger Gnome Podcast. And up next, we have somebody uh, that won the Berkey. His name is Corey Stelgis. All right. I think this is going to be part of the Danger Gnome podcast, to be honest with you, because I think we have enough for show 144 already. So that puts you in pretty good company, because I've been, you know, saving all the best stuff for me. So what exactly (laughs) is a uh, Danger Gnome? Well, it's gnomes, and is there variable rates of danger, you know, uh, there's the danger of... You know, stubbing your toe versus, and there's the danger of missing, you know, maybe the next meal or, you know, variable levels of of danger. Probably not very dangerous, though. But you're dangerous, man. Anyway, (laughs) we're going to start this out. So uh, this is the Danger Gnome Podcast, and we have with us here at Neff Cycle Circus Service, uh, not circus, we have the only spinner... T. Ryerson here. Uh, he is uh, normally on the Dose of Fat podcast, but he's put on a pointed hat and joined us on the Danger Gnome podcast. We're trying and something today. Yep. I am your uh, avuncular gnomez. Uh, I kind of flubbed that, but you know, that's what you do when you <laughs> say a fake name. And the reason why we're here at Neff Cycle Service is to interview Corey Stelgis, the winner of the 2018 Fat Bike Berkey. I thought it was 2019. 2019. <laughs> 2019, yes. 19. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Uncle Living Gomez forgot what year it is again. <laughs> Not the first time. Hey, you know, it's early in the year still. I mean, March, you get a pass till April 1st. Yeah. All right. We're close, but yeah, you're, you're okay. So Corey is joining us, and he's. Uh, we're going to talk about the Fat Bike Berkey. His triumphant championship, and uh, Spinner actually said he had a pretty interesting race story to tell. So yeah, we're chatting it up after the race in the in the outside beer garden party place thing, whatever it is. So before the the race, we interviewed Chris Stevens, 
And he said last year that he just decided to go out and put the pain hurt on everyone from the very first. Uh, is that how did how did it work out this year? Did you did you have any conversations with Chris before the race or? Well, uh, no, I I didn't like uh, you know beg for mercy or anything. You know, right, right from the start, I was kind of. I was going to see what his strategy was. Actually, I was listening to the podcast where you had him on, mm-hmm. and I was trying to grab some intel before the race. You uh, stole his strategy? Yeah, and so uh did, you know, gathered some intel there. Uh, he, he talked a little bit about his strategy, gave away a few of his secrets, so uh, and made he, some notes. And he uh, brought a team. Yeah, he brought, like, yeah. 40 guys. Yep, yep, so... All I had to do was outride a team of forty guys, <laughs> and then I knew I could win. Yeah, so I was like, "Yeah, bring it on!" Nice. So, did he keep a contingent with him? I mean, the race starts; an elite group forms. Are does he have teammates in that elite group? Uh, I think I think a few of his teammates did make it up into that yeah. league group. So the league group was a little bit bigger this year. It was probably I would I would say close to 20 guys for the first 20k i think some people were kind of yo-yoing off of the off of that front pack and yeah i saw a few of his teammates come up there um there was one guy uh took a flyer off the front you know maybe 10 15k in um the rest of the field i I think was uh pretty wise to it so uh didn't really affect the race that much so they didn't react to that to that attack um you know, I think uh, not initially. Then um, at one point, uh, Ted King kind of jumped up on uh, on a short little flyer that uh, someone took, and and then I kind of saw that happen and figured, well, you know, Ted, he's he's definitely a pretty dangerous man. So figured I'd uh, jump up on his wheels well, and uh, yeah, it was uh, nothing nothing too dangerous early on. Um, I think everyone was just kind of feeling one another out. Um, yeah, it's just kind of the usual stuff. Um, so yeah. is it still the course that takes you out to the turnaround at double O? Correct. Although it was, I guess you could say, a reverse. Counterclockwise this year? It was, uh, cl- it was clockwise. clockwise this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it went out on the classic trail, back on the skate, which... Uh, if you're familiar with the trail, the, the classics uh, trail is generally a little more windy and a little less firm on the grooming end because I think they run the uh, the big piston bullies over the skate trail with like the full width uh, groomer, whatever you want to call right. it. And the, and the classic, they want a little deeper snow. Yeah, yeah. So usually it's kind of a uh, hammer fest on the way out on the hard pack skate trail, and then. It's a little uh, kind of high-speed, two-wheel, drifty on the way back through the Classics uh, trail. Depending on how fresh people are, you know, it can be, it can get a little little fast and loose. Uh, if everyone's uh, kind of burned all their matches, you know, maybe not. So kind of have to weigh that uh, with the race strategy and, uh, you know, equipment and tire pressure choice, things like that. But uh, with, with the direction it was this year, I thought it... Uh, was a little more predictable that it was going to be hard on the way out from both perspectives. It was going to be hard because it was generally more uphill on the way out, downhill on the way back. And it was also going to be hard because it was the classic trail on the way out, which uh, the snow is generally a little slower. So, um, you know, I thought it was going to be a little bit more heavy on the pedal side um, on the way out. And then 
it was going to be pretty fast, uh, pretty fast and straight on the way home. So uh, if, if, as it turned out, I, th- I thought it would actually be harder to ride off the front solo on the way back because you'd be more exposed, you'd have less kind of turning um, technique, skills, mm-hmm. sections on the way back. Higher speed and and firmer ground and yeah yeah if if you've never had the chance to ride on that trail up there it's it's really just a very unique experience in that it's not really even groomed for the race but it's groomed you know daily for months leading up to the race so mm-hmm. it's just a hard pack surface you know more smooth than asphalt. Uh, Snow Crete. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really unbelievable. Um, it's really a unique experience to, just to get to ride those trails. Is probably you know one of only a handful places in the country mm-hmm. that those conditions exist. Did uh, were there any crashes in the front group? Um, I didn't personally see any, but I heard that there were a few behind me. Well, there was a, there was quite a few in front of me, and I was ways back, and I wonder if that the the speed that people were able to get it was hard they started turning their bike like they were on pavement and, yeah and I, I saw a lot of yard sales probably 10 really yeah. oh wow yeah, yeah i i did not realize that yeah you can definitely kind of get in over your head if uh if you just lay off the brakes and, and ride as hard as you can and think that uh you can just you know go no brakes every corner because mm-hmm. uh yeah it allows you to to go fast enough to to get yourself in trouble and then the very edges of the trail were like the little uh little edge of the screed of the groomer is you know it looks like corduroy but then it, it gets it gets soft like right at that little yep up up kicker on the edge of the trail and it looks like you can almost like treat it like a berm but you can't because the snow underneath it is yeah, actually it's like soft the edge of flat earth yeah you know, it yes. falls off yeah. right, right right there right we all know that the earth is flat <laughs> and uh, apparently a few people fell on that edge so you know <laughs> dispute resolved Less exactly yeah. like that yeah <laughs> so you're in the uh, you're you're in this elite group of 20 people and the thing that, that I just learned was th- those 20 people are not only fast but they can keep the bike upright going fast in variable conditions. Right, right. Well, you know, if you think about it, you have to be fast or the faster you are, the more fit you are, you generally ride your bike at a higher speed because you're more you're able to pedal faster, mm-hmm. so you're always practicing mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. faster. So it kind of forces you to develop uh, a, a wide range of skills and you know be able to to handle those conditions. Yeah, and the conditions, like you're saying, that we were talking on our last show, the conditions can be different on the same course every time, and this year was no exception. So, it's true. Yeah. So you hit that turnaround, and then what? Uh, yeah, so I was I was studying the the course a little bit beforehand, and I knew um, after the turnaround it was going to be about five k, and then you were going to get a pretty decisive climb on the return leg where you kind of go up over the the fire tower hill mm-hmm. climb. Um, it's not the same fire tower hill you ride in uh, Schwamigan Forty, but it's the same ridge line. Yeah, it's yeah. the same ridge line. It's not you don't go on the same exact tracks, but it's still a pretty decent hill. After that, I didn't feel like there was a big, decisive climb uh, from there there till the end. So, if uh, if the conditions allowed, you know, I thought that, that was a a good place to to maybe stage an attack. And um, you know, I think probably other people were were thinking the same thing. So, um, 
yeah, I was just kind of counting down the Ks after the turnaround, um, and then kind of hit the the bottom pitch of of that that large climb. And uh, Josiah had uh, uh, put in a little dig on the the bottom slope there, and um, I was on his wheel, and I saw that we got a little gap, and then about halfway up, it seemed like you know maybe the pace slacking a little bit, and I kind of kind of looked over at Josiah, and you know he just looked like he was you know, hunched over the bars a little bit, like, suffering, and I just was kind of telling myself, well, all right, you know, this is, this is what we talked about, so, I, you know, this is now or never, like, if you're going to make a move, you better do it, and uh, so, yeah, I just, just just decided to ride that, that second pitch uh, pretty hard, and went over the top, kind of uh, tucked and, and went down the, you know, pretty high-speed descent after that, and uh, not not where I was really able to look back. I was just kind of focused on keeping the bike upright right. and, uh, and and going fast. But then I looked back and, you know, I saw maybe right away kind of got a, about a 10 second gap. And, um, and it's just kind of saying, okay, you know, this, this is it. Um, this isn't, uh, this, this is the time to, to be fully committed, fully committed till the end. So that's just always a, you could sense weakness and you just hammered <laughs> down you well, blood in the water and you said, so yeah. about 20k left at that yeah point? right it was about 20k yep okay. yep so 20k on a fat bike <laughs> i discovered that's a long ways those k's yeah. don't come as fast as you no, think because you're no. looking for that 15k side and that 10k oh, sign i know <laughs> i saw the 15k si- sign i figured oh man it felt like i've already been out here for 20 minutes yeah we'd only gone 5k i couldn't believe it i thought ah there's no way there's no way i'm gonna make it because those guys I mean, they were they were crawling back up to me you know they're were, they're were reeling in the line you see them working together behind you? Yeah, he has, uh, I think, four of them working together behind yeah. me. Um, so that, uh, yeah, it's always intimidating to look back and see a group of four like that, and you think, oh, man, i got to outride four guys now. And, yeah, you never really know how the cooperation is behind you. And it's, sometimes it's, it's kind of an advantage if you think all the four people behind you have their own aspirations of winning because then I think they're a little – you know, they hesitate a lot to, to do a lot of work. So um, I was kind of watching them um, every every crest of a little hill. I kind of take, take take a peek back and just kind of take stock of the, you know, who was leading and, and how they looked. And, um, boy, that four of them, they, they almost rode right back up to me. And uh, then we had a couple fast downhills and some straights and put in a few big efforts and uh, – and then, uh, you know, I really, my spirits were really lifted. At one point, I looked back and, and forward become two. And then I kind of went from this uh, attitude of, oh, feeling sorry for myself that I wasn't going to make it to thinking, okay, this has a real shot now. Um, so that was, was kind of a turning point. And who were those two behind you? I think it was Chris Stevens and uh, Josiah Middaw. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And it looked like, well, it, they, they were kind of altering. But it seemed like every time I looked back, I saw Josiah. Doing yeah. the work? Well, yeah, and, you know, I don't, it's kind of hard to tell because you can't see everybody all the time over the crest of those little hills, sure. you know. Yeah. But, and Josiah's a taller guy, so maybe I just saw him because his head was sticking up <laughs> further. But, yeah, it seems like sometimes I can only see him. Did nice. you have a, a part of the course where, like, were you trying to make the most time up and the most speed, like, in the downhills and the flats and the climbs? Did, he, uh, did it matter? Yeah, so you just take what you can get and try to – go into a little bit different mode when you're off the front like that and just try to ride uh 
ride really efficiently. So take rests on the downhills where you can just tuck and get, get some free speed, use the free speed of the downhills and then, uh, really kind of work the uphills as, as much as you can. But it almost seemed like I was gaining a lot of time on the flats because, and I don't know if this is the case or not. You have to ask the guys behind me, but I kind of get the sense, you know, in a flat into a little wind like that, you know, maybe the cooperation behind me just was not great. Mm. And while I was pedaling hard 100% of the time, you know, maybe the people behind me were only pedaling hard, you know, 80% mm-hmm. of the time. And they had these little gaps in cooperation that allowed me to sneak away a little bit more. I've been in a chase group where that's definitely been the case. Okay. And it's, it's very frustrating. So <laughs> I know how that feels to be in the chase group and have that negative racing. I know that happens a lot. Um, so in that regard, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of an advantage to, to be out front. Sure. I could I could see that working out where, you know, you're waiting for the, you've been working really hard and you're redlining and you're like, all right, guy. Now you yeah. and he doesn't pull his weight, and you're like, God damn, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna work so hard for you. And yeah, yeah, that that can happen a lot. Um, you know, when when two people they they each feel like they they want to win and they feel like they can win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a very even match. Um, that's just dynamics of bike racing, and this yeah. is probably one of the only fat bike races that that really comes into play this is where the your political savvy in the in the in the group you know your your ability to sway your fellow racer <laughs> jedi mind trick them into working right, for right, as yeah. hard as they can yeah, for you and uh, convince them that you're working for them as well <laughs> so you're coming into like the last 5k mm-hmm. do you is anybody telling you what the gap is do you do you know where those guys are or are they within sight of you uh so no one's telling me what the gap is but i can look back and see them um on longer straights mm-hmm. so i can kind of estimate it somewhere i thought it was right around 20 seconds um okay. so yeah. this is past power line because the last 3k is the power line road where it's way open and you can probably see Half a mile? Well, you can, but you can't see over the little hill rises. So That's you can true. only see the uh, the trail, you know, in the valley between the hills. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess when I thought it was really in jeopardy a, a, lot, a lot of the time, but then at 5K to go, I felt like maybe the air had gone out of the chase a little bit, and I felt that gap stretch out. And uh, 5K to go, I, I kind of was thinking, okay, I think this is gonna happen i think i'm yeah. gonna make it uh-huh. i'm gonna make it yeah because you get to the power line section and you know you can you can smell home at that point mm-hmm. and it's just uh it, when, when you're in the lead like that it just gives you just gives you that extra little bo- uh, burst of of motivation that that you would never otherwise have mm-hmm. uh it just yeah you just you're able to to dig that much deeper and uh especially when it's for a, a really meaningful uh big win like that race um yeah ordinary people can sometimes do extraordinary things well you're not exactly ordinary (laughs) so this is Uh, your (laughs) (laughs) so and at this point you're feeling good you haven't ever hit like a a low it doesn't sound oh no i had lots of lows (laughs) lots of lows yeah i know i've been feeling pretty sorry for myself uh you know maybe 15k to go thinking 
Uh, well, I mean, what was I doing? Why am I out here? Like these guys are, they're, they're almost ridden back up to me. Like that was just a wasted move, you know? And, uh, what was I thinking? Like four guys behind me, they're all super strong and can't outride that many as, but uh, I just kind of self-talk, you know, can got to stick with it. Well, I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm all in. So I'm going as hard as I can until, until our wheels are overlapping. I'm going hard. Like not. Not until the very bitter end. They're gonna have to ride every inch of that gap down to get me. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. What's your um, nutrition and stuff? Water bottles and stuff like that. Did you uh, plan yeah, that just out? A lot of like PBR. Yeah. <laughs> me yeah. too. Yeah. How come my finish is not as good? <laughs> You're not drinking enough. Yeah. How many times have we? Been I've over never this? heard that. Yeah. My, nobody has ever said I'm not drinking enough. <laughs> <laughs> You're not drinking yeah. enough, Spinner. You're not hydrated. No, I'll, tur- I'll turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's you don't want to talk about your secret juju uh, oh, so, nutrition program? So, well, the uh, I, I did the race one bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use generally I use uh, the Mike's mix, and uh, secret you know double secret pro tip here is you know when it's below freezing at the start. You have to start with the bottle in your jersey pocket, not in your bottle cage, mm. because the top isn't going to freeze. I thought you were going to say vodka. Vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Pour some vodka in there. <laughs> yes, Jay Peterberry. <laughs> he puts vodka in his water bottles. Yeah. So, uh, so you got to stop. You got to start with the uh, with the bottle in the jersey pocket, and then then once you start drinking, it, you got to polish it off before uh, before it freezes all the way. So yeah, somewhere around halfway point, I think I down my bottle and then you know race time's like an hour 46 so you know you, th- you figure under two hours you know generally can get by with one bottle mm. yeah so you pull into the where you can hear the announcer mm-hmm. and it's you and how far back are they well the finishing margin was 18 seconds so 18 seconds i think it was either 16 or 18 something like that yeah so you didn't even you didn't have time to you know sit up and zip your jersey all the way up and <laughs> well, actually i i was going to but uh-huh. then i had to uh it was very you know, it was kind of downhill coming to the finish and it's pretty pretty fast and i had to go around a few lap riders right before the end and then there was uh there's those little timing mats Right mm-hmm. under the band, right. yeah. and, was, and like the trail was so hard. I knew when I hit those, it was gonna like almost get a little air off. Of them, sure. You know, I'm thinking, oh man. Well, last thing I want to do is just yard sale <laughs> right at the end. You know? and, uh, so I was like, well, wait till you get under the the banner, you know, and then uh, <laughs> put them up. So yeah, nice. that's the case. Yeah, you, you just don't want to be that guy who's like makes it on to like ESPN or something. And it's like, well, right. can I you believe this idiot? You know, celebrates too soon. <laughs> You know, injures himself. The yeah. agony of defeat guy. The new <laughs> agony of defeat right. guy. But it would be the agony of winning. Right. The first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you cross the line. What do you think about it? So what's the first thing you think about? Uh, it just it was just a big rush of emotion that I felt. Um, I couldn't believe it happened. Uh, past, man, I don't know how many times I've done this race. You know, five times now maybe. And it's always been a pretty big point of emphasis for me for the winter training cycle. And it's never really worked out. And this year I, you know, I had, um, aspirations of, of attacking it again and, uh, kind of suffered through some, uh, knee injury in, in January and, uh, kind of, 
had thought maybe that goal was just a little little out of reach mm-hmm. this year. And the week beforehand, I was even talking to myself, thinking, you know, how I was going to come back in 2020 and, you know, do a better better job of preparing and, and really be ready to to win that next year. And I, I kind of had to give myself a little, uh, a little pep talk and say, you know, no, next year is never – Never guaranteed. I mean, you got to... You you were thinking about skipping 2019? No, no. I just thought that maybe my goals of winning were, you know, maybe not as reasonable. But um, Because we talked to you at Sweaty Yeti the week before the race. Yeah. And you had said, you know, I'm coming back. This is really my first effort, my first full-on race effort since I've been nursing this knee injury. Yeah. And that was a tough day on the bike. It was, yeah. So, you know, I had just really gotten healthy probably beginning of february and just buried myself took took a few risks training wise the month of february was pretty pretty deep in the the fatigue mm. hole uh two weeks before berkey and it was a risk to, to see if the body could you know pull out in time um kind of uh gain the the benefits of that that huge training block i'd put in and um it was really my only shot, and then to it, it was just it was a little unexpected, I guess. At at the Berkey, I I knew it was a chance, and um, I decided, you know, no matter what, no matter how bleak I I thought it looked, I just you know tried to talk myself out of the negative and and into the positive, and um, just uh, always believe that you have a shot, and then go out there and, and race for the win, and. Uh, to have it come through like that in a year that I didn't necessarily expect it and, and just check off just a huge um, kind of life goal to to win that race was just, uh, you know, it was, it was overwhelming right after the line. And I just, it was hard to even find any words or expression. It just, uh, it was uh, just a kind of a surreal feeling. And I just uh, had to pause for a second, just kind of take it all in. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you, but you worked your way. It's like you paid your dues to get to that point second place last year. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and now, to, are, are you planning on going back oh, for to sure. defend? Absolutely. I think because, I mean, I, I read a few recaps of the race, and then, I mean, you've broken some guys that are like perennial winners where they said, I don't think I can win there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely a very stacked field this year, and it was intimidating. And I think that that it's only going to get more and more. I think that higher levels of riders are going to try and put that on their bucket list, Mm -hmm. and it's going to become harder and harder and harder. But, you know, Mother Nature can really play a hand in that. You know, if somebody comes in that is a road racer or just a Western mountain biker and tries to ride on those conditions without ever doing it before, I think they have, they'll be surprised at. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. Um, it's, you're seeing the depth of the field go up every year along with the numbers. And I think this year was the first year that you saw some big time, you know, heavy hitters that are you know, big names nationwide, not just in Wisconsin, show up. And absolutely, I think it's going to still continue to trend that way. I think it's fast becoming a winter version of the uh, Schwamigan Fat Tire oh, yeah. 40. And I think uh, probably in, in 10 years, you're going to be sitting here 
talking about those two events as just uh, Midwest monuments, if you will. Uh, that's the way I view them. That's the mm-hmm. way I viewed them for the last uh, handful of years. There's a handful of events, and in, in, if you live in this part of the country, uh, and, you know, you fancy yourself a good bike racer, uh, you want to win those events or uh, a combination of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that's one of my one of my goals uh for you know over over several years is I, I wanted to be the first guy to win uh Schwamigan 40 and Fat Berkey because they're really on the same trails um you know they have similar vibe now and Jenna Reinhardt would be ladies champion that has done both oh multiple yes. times has anybody there done back to back has anybody defended their Berkey championship is that gonna be the you're gonna be the uh, first one I don't know I, I don't, don't know, know if uh, it's been. Too I, think, I don't yet. think. I don't think anybody. Oh, Ned did. I think. Did he? I know he won once. I think he won twice in a row. Okay, he might have. Mm. We'll have to check that. Yeah. yeah, I know that uh, we don't have a Will, statistician on the show. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Will Ross. I, I can't. I can't remember if he got two in a row or not. Well, Will Ross in a row. won. He be, he was the first guy to beat uh, Ned. Yep, I remember the year he beat Ned. Um, he was somewhere in the in the teens where he finished maybe 10, 11, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think he was 12th. I talked to him a little bit after the race. And yeah, he's he, a good he, guy. Yeah, he didn't have his best day, but you know, he's a he's a pro triathlete now. Um mm. and he's he's doing uh pretty good things on on that side of the sport. Um I don't know if, you know, he's riding the fat bike quite as much as he used to, but You uh, come out You of should the, interview him. Yeah, and we have talked to him, and we for sure will. Yeah. Um, You come out of a running background. Right, Right, yeah. So ran at Platteville back in the day, uh, 15 years ago now. Um, That was kind of my first first endurance sport. So, yeah, through through high school, uh, ran on the high school track and and cross-country team in in Altoona, Wisconsin, which is right outside of Eau Claire, just about uh, an hour and a half south of Berkey Land. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, then ran at UW Platteville there, uh, for, uh, five years, um, on track and cross country program and then came to Madison, um, did, did a little post-collegiate running, um, did, did a few marathons, I ended up, uh, qualifying and, and running in the 2008 Olympic trials in the marathon, um, in New York city in 2008. Uh, shortly after that, uh, 2009 was really the first uh, first year I started riding bikes, uh, kind of due to a, due to a running injury. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I think the Lalonde brothers too came through the running. Yes, yes. Uh, absolutely. We to uh, the cycling. We were in the same sectional even in high school, uh, myself and and Mark and Jesse. Um, so yeah. I've seen those names pop up through results now. For uh, oh man, since. Since uh, the last millennia, even right, I can believe that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when you have a series of brothers who are all so talented, that Lalan name stays there longer, right? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your bike and your equipment. Sure. I'm I'm semi obsessed with the new B Fat versus Twenty Six Fat, uh, where where the advantages are, right. and I think, well, the the results speak for themselves. At least two of the top three at Schwamigan, those hard snowcrete uh, conditions favor the bigger wheel. I think. What do you think? 
Oh, uh, well, I guess uh, probably for, as it relates to most people, I, I always say it's uh, it's 90-some percent the rider. Um, but, yeah, I think that uh, the wheel size it probably isn't going to make a huge difference for a lot of people. Um, I think both sizes are really good and can be really effective in a variety of conditions. Um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in that too. And I think every year we're seeing more and more, uh, tire and rim choices come to market Mm -hmm. and the differences between, uh, you know, just having availability of, you know, better, better tires and wheels can really change your perception, you know, maybe even more so than wheel size. I know, you know, when, uh, the 27.5 first came out, it was just, uh, you know, maybe two or three tires available. And, you know, as far as like really deep, soft snow, I think that was a great option. Right. Um, now we're start, starting to see that change. Correct. Yeah. And all those first tires that came out didn't have the sidewall height that the tire that you ran that day, you were, you were running Van Algas. Well, at Berkey, okay. Berkey, I actually ran uh, the Schwalbe's. Ah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I had to go back to the 26-inch wheels for the Berkey, but uh, that doesn't, when you're just riding perfectly smooth, groomed, corduroy that, uh, you know, is, is better than asphalt, um, I mean, it, the wheel size just doesn't doesn't really make that big of a difference in the ability to run. Well, you, boom, there goes my theory. Yeah. Shot right down. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking yeah. at it, too. I'm like, that's not what's on the bike right now. No, no. So I was running the 27.5 Van Helga's uh, for most of the winter um, just to kind of try them out and, and see how I liked them and kind of the, the single track riding uh, scenario, you know, with the with the deeper, more loose snow. Um, and, they yeah, they were very solid option. I mean, the Van Helga tire is probably the best all-around fat bike tire out there i mean if you have to just choose one to ride everything and you don't need studs but it seems like too much of a knob to be a great race tire oh i don't know i don't know about that um if it's more about the pressure i think the knobs if you look at some of the uh, rolling resistance studies people have done there's a clear pattern that rolling resistance is really more dependent on rubber compound than it is knob height um so if you get a if you get a good rubber compound your knob height always affects the rolling resistance but not to the degree that uh, a poor rubber compound would if you want a good illustration of that that's mathy math stuff look at some (laughs) of the uh rolling resistance numbers from the 45 north van helga versus Mm. that the uh probably the lightest fat bike tire ever made that kenda juggernaut right and you'll see that the van helga is still significantly faster yeah, are these the roll down tests or the hysteresis tests? They are the drum roll that you know, gotcha. rolling on a drum. Gotcha. So, yeah, so you you know it's you got to take it with a little grain of salt that it's not it's not uneven terrain, but there's probably still a little lesson to be learned there. Sure. So anyway, I really like the Van Helgas. I think there's probably a lot of good options out there, but they're kind of the. Uh, the choice that uh, I've gravitated to uh, over the last few years for for riding single track, and you know, last year I even rode. I had a Van Helga on the front for Fat Berkey because I was thinking coming back in that classic trail is a lot of turns, and uh, I felt like the Van Helga was just a little bit more advantageous in those those high speed corners. 
Um, this year, coming back in on the skate trail, I thought I'd go back to the, the Schwalbe's front and back. Mm. So that's, well, that's really a, it's really a fine distinction. Do you, um, do you know what your pressure was? So yeah, I was running about seven and nine PSI okay. for, for Berkey. Um, a lot of people, I think started out way too solid and <laughs> way too much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm cutting fresh quarter eye right. the whole time, you know, maybe riding in one or two people's tracks uh-huh. for most of the race. So my experience, you know, I wouldn't recommend that everybody do the same things that I do. If I was riding 500th place, I would, I would have a different setup. You know, I'd run less pressure, yeah. knobbier tire. Um, that's what I did. Yeah, that's where I'm so at. There you go. <laughs> <Back then. laughs> that's, actually a, got, that's a really interesting fact that you have a way different condition than everyone right. behind you. Right. It's really like just a dream riding out front. It's just, I just say, it's just a magic carpet ride up there. Just, you know. <laughs> Who gets to cut fresh quarter eye for 40K? I mean, it's just dream come true. Man. Uh, it's, it's just perfect riding. It's Do you prefer that, the, the quarter eye versus the tire track? Uh, well, I think the fastest scenario actually is like one or two people gone over it just to like yeah. break the little ridges of the quarter eye. Uh-huh. Anyway, it, they're both really good. Yeah. yeah it's, yeah. It, all, all the time I was off the front at, at Berkey, it was kind of alternating know, in cutting the, the corduroy myself or trying to stay in one or two tracks that maybe someone had kind of ridden out on the on the pre ride to gain a little extra speed, but uh it was hard to keep it in that track the whole time. Mm-hmm. So you're lined up in gate one. Is there any uh gamesmanship or you know, doesn't did anyone <laughs> tell you that you look really nice today? <laughs> Oh man, no, they didn't. So I was really bummed out. I figured, man, nobody even, nobody even told These me how nice I like look today. Me. Can you believe it? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. So nobody was talking oh, yeah. smack or did Leia snarl at you or anything? Yeah, <laughs> yeah she would. So I knew. No, she didn't. Leia told me she was cold. Yeah, I think that was it. And yeah, yeah, I was cold. I, I was like, cold. You're too. supposed to be cold. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It was 19 at the start. Yeah. And it started getting the 30s. It was in the 30s at the finish. I mean, Should it warmed ri- up. Riding shorts. Yeah. Yeah, it was shorts weather. Shorts weather. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't uh, fur weather. No legging <laughs> costume for me this year, but. Um. So let's get to the most important part. The most important part of the Berkey is the after party. And <laughs> I wasn't there to see, you know, our. Two friends, Spinner and Leia. I wasn't there either. Oh, dude. It was yeah. a quiet you, party. Yeah. That's probably why. You well, there, there was a blizzard coming in that oh, night. Yeah. So, yeah. So my parents actually, uh, you know, they still have a place in, in Eau Claire. And we were uh, kind of in a hurry to wrap things up and, and make it home because we were up uh, north for the, uh, the ski berkey weekend. Well, Sweaty Yeti. Plus, you and, were probably going on the Tonight Show. Because you yeah, just won. Absolutely. <laughs> you just won. So the I had Berkey. to get my pregame on for that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was really hazardous driving conditions coming back after the ski berkey weekend or sweaty yeti weekend. Yep. And I was kind of thinking, well, I do not want to be in that situation again. Oh, yeah. So that sweaty yet. The Sunday after sweaty yeah. yet was yeah. gnarly. I still hear stories oh, from people that man. they were stranded, you yeah. know, out in the middle of nowhere up after after the race trying to get back. And, boy, we saw a number of 
uh, slide offs and pile ups on the interstate. Um, mm-hmm. So I was a little scared uh, about getting getting home the next day. So we decided to head back to Eau Claire, and then the next next day we we're kind of helping uh, clear the you know, snow removal duties at the farm. Um, and then yeah, didn't didn't make it home till till Sunday night. But unfortunately, no no Berkey after party. Yeah, yeah, it was um, not as wild that it's as it's been in the past. Didn't you and Leia have some competition there last year or something? Yes, I owe her a hundred dollars. Uh, I <laughs> thought it was. I thought maybe you would be owing her beers instead of a hundred dollars. So uh, she she beat you, <laughs> huh? She beat you barely, <laughs> only by like thirty minutes. <laughs> I think it's like twenty minutes. I don't know. I haven't even seen. Somebody told me she won, which I assume is true without even checking results. But she came in third in the ladies division. Yes. With two new names that yeah. that uh came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we'll have to have them on the you show. You should, yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah, my yeah. wife Heather, you know, she she had another excellent ride. She came, she like, came in fourth, right? Yep. She was like really uh really closing in on Leia was the rumor at the end. So Ooh. Yeah, you have to ask Leah about that. I think <laughs> oh. it scared, we better scared bring Leah a little in. bit. She had to kick it in the last Last 5K, that's probably why she beat you. I know that uh, that this probably doesn't come as a surprise to anyone, but Spinner and I are both really afraid of her. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. It depends. Like, it, yeah. I, I, uh, I have to buy nachos. Spinner likes to talk tough, but <laughs> nachos for the crew, and then I give her 100 bucks. Yeah. She, she didn't even talk to me after the race. This guy texted says, where's my hundy? <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. She was not impressed with her performance, but, you know, it's still not bad. Oh, yeah. It's super solid. It's mm-hmm. uh, nothing to sneeze at. No. There's a lot of talent up there every year. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of years, I feel like, you know, talent on the women's side is even deeper than the men's. Mm-hmm. And she's more of like a mountain bike, single track type of racer and this is like we're talking road tactics are so much different in this race and yeah, yeah. so yeah mm-hmm. and it's a contest look, to see confused. how much you can ride and train in the worst months of the year it's mm-hmm. just like a uh, who can who can take the most punishment and be out there in 20 below zero you know dark at night in january and so are you training a lot outside or are you training on an indoor trainer um, so I train primarily outside. I limit myself to one day a week on the trainer Yeah, is all, but I really, um, yeah, for, for my training rides, I try to do one, one day a week on the trainer to maybe get like a little intensity in. And then, uh, the rest of the time, uh, I ride outside if I can. And, and when I look at the week, I'm kind of planning out my training week. I always look and see, you know, what, look at the weather and see what day do I not want to be outside. And mm-hmm. that's the day I pick for, for my trainer ride. And then the rest of the time it's, uh, put on the extra clothes and find the lights and have a go at it. Do you Ooh. still run as part of your training? Uh, I do a little bit of running. Uh, but this winter, I think over my noon hours, I was able to get in, you know, maybe just a short, like, 20-minute run uh, at work. There's, like, a, over at Minona Terrace, there's a, a big kind of indoor-outdoor staircase that is kind of glass encased, and it's perfect because it's... You run up and down Yeah, that yeah thing. I just run stairs <laughs> at lunch, and I do uh, some of my old running drills that are kind of like these plyometric drills, and uh, the footing's good, you know, because it's kind of indoors, but it's not hot. You know, it's still, yeah. like... 
30 degrees maybe, mm-hmm. which is just perfect for, for running in the winter. And it's, it's a good workout, but, uh, yeah, per, 90% of the, the time is, is cycling training. Um, I just, I can't really run consistently anymore. I just, you know, too many nagging injuries, old, old, uh, injuries mm-hmm. from my college running days. You don't seem that old though, Corey. I'm actually almost 50 years old, if you can believe that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't believe that. Listeners no, I'm I'm, I've got some news for you. So I'll, I'll give you a list of things that start not to work when you turn 50. <laughs> one of my old coworkers, he, you know, he told me something one time. He said, everybody lies and they say, oh, I'm 29 or 39 or whatever you want to say, but you really got to go the other way because if you're 40 and you tell people you're 29, they think, man, you look terrible. <laughs> That's awful. But if you- the thing is, though, like I've always looked older than I am. When I was 16, I looked like I was 30. You had that same beard? You had the beard at 30 years old? <laughs> no, at 16, my beard looked like yours. <laughs> Which is pretty manly. I've been growing this since I've been 16. This is as, as big as it is now. Nice. Yeah, growing it in. But... Uh, did you have any questions for Corey about his fabulous victory there? Uh, what other races did you do getting into this? I mean, you didn't do, like, polar roll or anything like that? No, I didn't. I, I kind of wanted to do polar roll, but I decided that I just needed the weekend to, to train more yeah. for Fat Berkey. I mm-hmm. just I couldn't uh, I couldn't back off the, the training and, and make it up for for polar roll, and I just I didn't feel like I was fit enough to actually even have a go at it properly and – and I wasn't even confident at that point that I could ride my bike for over three hours without stopping and stretching out my knee. It was mm. only like that week that I could ride con- continuously for three hours without stopping and like doing some sort of like stretching or oh. or PT. And and with the weather forecast the way it was, I mean, I just thought ah, going up there, this could it could be a five hour day on the bike. And oh, I just, it turned out to be six. It was, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right. Uh, so who knows what would have happened? But I just wasn't healthy enough and confident and fit enough to really go up there and and have a go at it which i was really i was really bummed out i was talking with heather and i was feeling really bad the that week and the week after i just thought i would have just liked to have a shot at polar roll and an epic year like that with the you know huge amount of snow i just like to see that once and, and try mm-hmm. to ride in it i don't know how successful i would have been but uh mm-hmm. it would have been good to go and try anyway and uh <laughs> but it just uh it just wasn't the smartest decision to make and um i'm glad in hindsight uh, obviously that, that i made the you made a smart choice yeah but but next year polar roll is is definitely on the schedule i just realized kind of cool we have the berkey champion living right here in madison mm-hmm. so that's like that makes us cooler too yeah, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, so way to thanks, go. Thanks Thank you. Way to, way to all of our street cred. Thanks a lot. <laughs> with your victory. That's, you know, I'm going to go home with my head held high tonight. <laughs> well, you know, we don't always have the, the best snow conditions to, to train here. It's definitely a little more moderate climate than, than up north. But uh, February, we lucked out this year. Had some had some great snow. Got some good riding in. And... Uh, was able to be just good enough. Where do you train? I mean, do you, what, there's uh, for the groom trails around here. I mean, yeah, what is there? So Blackhawk. There is some some groom single track, but I can't say that it's groomed to the degree that like Marquette is. Yeah, you know, it's like it's dependent on volunteers. Yeah, and you know, there really hasn't been snow to groom the last few years, so I think that it's not on a lot of 
people's radar, high priority to get out there and groom the single track. But we did get a little grooming this year. Um, it was snowing so much, you, you groom it, and two days later it'd be yeah. soft again. Um, but so a lot of the training, um, I would generally do um, a large ride on the bike paths. Um, you know, we're, we are fortunate enough here, especially in the winter and on in uh, when the ground is frozen to have a, a good amount of trail, both paved and, and snow to get a pretty solid, you know, two, three hour ride in and not be on the road at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then towards the end of that ride, I might end it at one of the mountain bike trailheads and depending on the trail condition, you know, get another half hour to an hour of uh, a single track riding mm-hmm. in. Um, you just kind of have to work with the weather for, for a while, all December, there was no snow and it was icy for a few weeks. You couldn't ride a single track. And then we got a lot of snow, but it wasn't groomed. So it was too deep. And then it was groomed for a while, really good riding for a while. And then we got uh, kind of a, I don't know if it was an ice storm or a melt and freeze, but there was just an incredible amount of ice on all the bike paths mm. and, uh, it rained too. Yeah. Maybe that <laughs> was it. Weird. Yeah. It was just, it was unbelievable. I think I just rode studs for about a month straight. We did. We get that every year and we did have a, we did have winter this year. And yeah. People, people were like, Oh no, snow through January for, through December. And really winter doesn't start until December 20th. You know, we can get mm. snow all the way into Halloween time, but mm. if we're lucky, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's yep. just the roll of the dice. Yep, yep. It's not. Uh, it's not like the magical world of uh, Campbellland or Marquette, where it's uh, winter wonderland for eight months a year. I'm sure Marquette would share some with us this year. <laughs> yeah, all the snow they got. Oh man, yeah. yeah. Well, we're grooming in Platteville, so if you want Sweet. to come back, we can put a, see if we'll put a statue when I go back to all right Platteville tonight. Let's see <laughs> if we can put a. A Corey statue somewhere. <laughs> Corey statue right there on the quad. On the quad, yep, in the in the campus. You'd be hitting the hitting the skull, hitting the dome with the, with frisbees <laughs> for for decades. Yeah, yeah. I did have my name on the or in the Platteville field in the Platteville field house for a while. Actually, no, I, it is still up. In I bet there. it's still in there. Yeah, it is. They they had it up uh, on the, along the track there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, cool. cool. Well, now. You got that, and you're on the Danger Gnome podcast. So, Life goals, like like we do, like we do with many of our guests. At the end here, we give you an opportunity to thank your sponsors. Yes, well, first and foremost, I have to thank Neff Cycle Service. We are here at Neff Cycle Service World Headquarters, just off of beautiful Fish Hatchery Road in Madison, across from Super Trooper Motors, the most notable landmark here. Um, it's on actually. I saw the police department yeah. across the street. I was town, worried about that too. Town of Madison <laughs> Police Department. Uh, not long for this world, uh, as the town of Madison will dissolve here shortly really? into the city of Madison. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, if you haven't seen the new shop, come by, check it out. There are. Yeah, we're in. The, what, what are we fancy. in the lounge? What did you call? Yeah, this? well, there's like the little fit stu- studio here. Mm-hmm. So Isaac has a a bike fitting studio set up with um, a, a trainer and uh, a board that uh, he can he can get your measurements dialed in precisely. Um, you know, every, every season I get a new bike, come in here, first thing we do is put it on the trainer. Isaac does a, a dynamic fit. We kind of play around with my cleats and saddle and bars to get everything uh, so the body's working correctly. Um, but... 
uh, in the in the new shop here, it's even a, a better better location. He's even better to set better set up to to take a look at people. You can take a video with your phone, uh, send it home with you, kind of document how the changes he made. Um, you can see it, uh, you know, right right on your phone uh, how the changes are are benefiting your your mechanics on the bike. Um, and then there's always just an incredible number of nice bikes here. There to, are some nice bikes here. Over. There's two championship bikes right in front of us. Yeah. So that's a wars, women's wars championship bike and then yep. your Berkey bike. That's right. Yeah, and there's, uh, there's probably a few more floating around here. There's two national champion jerseys on the wall behind you. Um, God, I don't know if I can be in here. What else we got floating around <laughs> here? Two, uh, uh, I'm not at this caliber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's all kinds of good oh, stuff. Oh, but there, there's PBR in the and, fridge. Right? Yeah, the most importantly, there's a fridge with beer in it. <laughs> yeah. So that's really important. I mean, yeah. I happen to know, you know, that another champion that we're all familiar with brings her bike here oh, for, yes. for work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's on a different team. She can't get this kind of uh, this kind of <laughs> high level of sponsors listen to this, but <laughs> well, we, we won't say we who it was. We won't mention any names. <laughs> yeah. No but, names. Uh, next time, uh, next time she's around on the podcast, it's like, don't worry, does. your site, your secret is safe with us. Like, <laughs> That's right. You know, it, she's in Texas now, so she can't hurt us now <laughs> until she, she comes that. back. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, so what then, other what other sponsors? Sorry, we digressed there for a sec. So, the main other sponsors would be, uh, of course, Rocky Mountain Bikes. Uh, they set me up with the sweet Suzy Q. I've been racing the last three years now. Incredibly happy with that bike and SRAM mountain bike components running the full XX1 Eagle Group with grip shift. With grip shift, that's a uh, I run grip shift all all year round. I like it. Some people, I think, like it, especially for the winter, because it has the advantage you can shift with mittens on. You mm-hmm. don't have to work your triggers. And it's yep. better than it's ever been. Absolutely. I mean, there was a period there where there was a lot of slop in that, in that, and it, there is not anymore. It is an accurate, and you can shift that thing with two fingers. Yep. I mean, you can turn that click, 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 just as easy as pie. I love that thing. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. And then uh, head wheels, of course, another one I have to think and for the fat bike season cool um, we, we love all those sponsors oh yeah they're all great everybody there loves bikes they love fat bikes and and you when you love when you love something you make great products yeah your suzy q is particularly gorgeous i took a really great shot of it at that sweaty yeti race oh, but yeah. that dark british racing green with the blue it really a, pops that is it? a hot looking bike and the gold the gold eagle and the gold uh pedals mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I was really happy with how it turned out. Well, next year you'll get a new one. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what color that one is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. This one hardly has any miles on it, so it's uh, might have to keep it around for another year. Really? Cool. Well, maybe it'll, maybe that'll be the back to back one, and then we'll have to dip it yeah. in gold and That's make right. you a giant trophy. It'll be, it'll be forever <laughs> bronzed on the wall, or or yep. a giant medallion yeah, to right. wear around your neck. You melt it down. <laughs> <laughs> you can compress the carbon and make it a diamond. There you, go. you have yeah. to get a tattoo of that bike. Yeah. <laughs> Full body to get the whole frame on there. Yeah. I like it. Yep. Well, cool. That was almost a whole hour, dude. Holy cow. Yeah, time flies. Mm-hmm. Right can, on. We can bullshit for another six minutes. No, we're good. No. 
Well, thanks for listening to the Danger Gnome Podcast. There's going to be danger of varying degrees in the Danger Gnome Podcast. I might trim my nails later, and that could be pretty dangerous. And also, we might fight a tiger. Well, it's been or might. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. All right, that's it for this show. Right on, bye. Bye. <laughs>